calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Realm presents Gods and Lies, Episode 6. Iris. You're a hard god to track down, I said. Do you take any special pleasure in stating the obvious? Estros ran his fingers through his beard, and miniature dust devils chased each other around the high priestess's office. In my experience, problems tend to work themselves out without my interference. This situation has proven to be an exception. Walk with me, Justix Thoro. The Wind God wafted out of the room, leaving me no choice but to follow. With his return to the temple, the bells and banners and ribbons fluttered to life once again. Am I to understand I am no longer a suspect? I was already a bit breathless from trotting to keep up, and Estros's question threw me further off balance. I... that is, the signs initially pointed to... Estros waved off my excuses, causing a display of sacred wind chimes to jangle. Think nothing of it. I observed you long enough to realize you'd come to the correct conclusion eventually. You observed me? I thought again of the cheeky seagull outside of Mama's cooking. There'd been a seagull at the crime scene, too. You've been following me this whole time? Why not? It was more entertaining than sitting around and watching my priests wring their hands. A soft breeze played about the god's face, braiding and rebraiding his beard into ever more complicated configurations. Besides, I was rather hoping your investigation would lead me to my relic so I could end this farce of an arrangement with Teddy Marwall. With his sister dead, he has little motivation to keep up the hunt for the thing. She has a brother? I thought Pippa didn't have anything to do with her family. Mother Daphne's nymph might have snapped a photo. I'll check. Estros whistled, and a playful gust ruffled the hems of his robes like an invisible puppy. 
At the god's gesture, it breezed back the way we'd come and returned moments later with one of Sisera's surveillance photos wafting through the air toward us. I snatched it. It showed Pippa sitting in a dusty restaurant booth, her face partially obscured by a menu, deep in conversation with a familiar-looking boy. Holy shit, I said. I know this guy. The weedy little dude from Mama's Cooking. They came to me seeking asylum. The boy ran with a rough crowd, at least by mortal standards, and somehow found out that local relic dealers were holding on to something of mine. He hoped to trade the information for his sister's safety. But what was I to do with information? Relic dealers have evolved ways to evade our sight, and storming in myself would attract... Rather the wrong sort of attention from the three mothers. So you made a bargain with them? Precisely. Teddy would ingratiate himself amongst the thieves, work his way up the ranks, and recover the relic. And in return, I would keep Pippa under my protection. Andy's voice popped up in my head yet again. Relic dealing isn't a matter of life and death. Humans caught with relics don't get that luxury. These guys are cagey, they suspect everyone, and they will not hesitate to kill anyone they mistrust. I looked at the photo again. They both looked so young, with Teddy barely more than a teenager. So, in exchange for Pippa's life, you threw her brother to the wolves? Estros's face darkened, and the scent of burning filled the air. They were the ones who wanted to bargain. I merely suggested the terms. Teddy went of his own free will. I clamped down on an angry response that would only worsen the situation. What did Estros understand of real danger? He was a god. But Teddy... I thought of this scrawny kid crawling through a pit of vipers to keep his sister safe, and a hard, hot ball of sympathy rose up in my throat. No one had been willing to fight that hard for me. You see now, I had no reason to kill Pippa. I needed her alive to guarantee Teddy's cooperation. What he'll do now is anyone's guess, and my relic is no closer to being returned to me. Gritting my teeth, I asked, Did either of them ever say what Pippa needed protection from? No. The air chilled around us. I didn't think to ask. I am the Wind Father, the Gust Gatherer, the Cloud Tamer. Who would dare defy my edict and invade my own hall? Well, someone did. And I'm guessing Pippa's other relatives might know who. Then by all means, proceed, Estros growled. When I find out who desecrated my temple, I shall draw down the might of my wrath upon them and scatter their bones to the four reaches of the world. Save your wrath for when we find something concrete, I said hastily. I pulled my blessed oak out of its holster the moment I entered the Marwal's house and took in the devastation. I was too late. A strange keening echoed from the kitchen, then a grunt and the banging of a cabinet door. 
Had the Marwals left a pet behind? I crept closer, holding my oak in front of me. As I crossed into the kitchen, a shape flapped out at me. Themia's branches! I yelled and swatted it with my oak. But it was only a dish towel. Gods, you even swear like a priest. Andy? What in the hells was that for? Andy grinned weakly up at me. He was sitting on the floor in his shirt sleeves, his back up against the cabinets, his left arm cradled in his right. I thought you were an intruder. So you threw a dish towel at me? It scared you, didn't it? What are you even doing here? Do you know what happened? He blinked a few times, his eyes losing focus. The blood price. You were right. My being right is hardly news. He pulled himself to his feet, wobbling a little. I also found out Estros's relic isn't the murder weapon. How do you know? I crossed toward him since he seemed unsteady on his feet. Because Teddy Marwall used it on me, that little shit. You're joking. I reached out before I could think about it, my fingers brushing the soft skin on his jaw. His breathing hitched and I yanked my hand back as if I'd burned it. What happened? I don't have feathers, so that's a plus. But it summons one hell of a breeze. I think I may have hit something. He tried to gesture to his head with his left arm, but he gave a brief keen of pain and stopped short. Several somethings. I burst out laughing. It was wrong of me, but I couldn't help it. That sound came from you? Excuse you, I was attacked. Poor baby. Come here. I probed the injured arm with gentle hands as I filled him in on what I'd discovered. After a moment, Andy did the same, his eyes slowly regaining their focus. Good thing most demis had advanced healing. Is it a clean break? He asked with a lopsided smile. It's a sprain. It feels like a break. He gave himself a little shake. But I will endure the pain to finish out this case. I... My breath caught in my throat as I realized. I don't think we have a case. Andy's eyes narrowed. What do you mean? The image of Themia's avatar placing her hand on my heart flashed through my mind. If Pippa wasn't transmogrified by that relic, it had to have been a god who did it. That's the only explanation. So? So, that's where my task as a justix ends. The gods have their own justice. My heart gave a painful little twist as I said it. We were so close. The solution almost within our grasp. But I couldn't defy my goddess. A mischievous light dawned in Andy's eyes. Then don't tell Themia. Do it off the clock. And what, tattled to Estros instead? A slow smile spread across Andy's face. Why not? We wouldn't be dispensing justice, just passing information along to a concerned party, who would have a pretty strong motivation to exact payback. Justice isn't about payback. But the idea was tempting, and so very like Andy. Dancing along the tightrope of not 
technically illegal. And if anyone had the power to punish a god, or at the very least discourage them from continuing to stray, it would be the wind god they almost framed for murder. I'll leave that up to the gods, Andy said. After all, they have their own justice. My lips quirked upward. You don't do anything in a straight line, do you? If we wind up at the same place, what does it matter? Looking down, I realized I was still holding his injured wrist, although the bruises were slowly fading. I rubbed my thumb in a slow circle around his pulse point. Andy, I... I looked up. His face was inches from mine, so close I could count his eyelashes. I breathed in the smell of sunlight on sand, and my lips parted. His eyelashes fluttered down, and with an awkward cough, he pulled his arm from my grip. Now I was the one swaying on my feet, flushed and disoriented. How had I misread the situation? Teddy's the key, Andy said, to all of this. We now have the where, the why, and the how Pippa died. We just don't have the who. The Marwals are gone, Cicero got herself unmade, and that priestess destroyed any evidence that might have been on that footage. Teddy's the only one left who knows the whole story. If we want to make this case, we're going to have to find him. And fast. Realization dawned. Cicero worked for both humans and gods. She was working for Mother Daphne and the killer. If Mother Daphne knew Pippa was working with her brother, the killer also knows, and they've already proven they don't like loose ends. But Teddy's in the wind. I have an idea, Andy said. Oh? How do you hope to find him? The same way I do everything, he grinned. I was getting too used to seeing that smile. And yet, somehow, I couldn't get enough of it. But charming people smarter and stronger to do it for me. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Andy. I'm trusting you on this, Iris said, as we pulled into the parking lot of the Garden of Delight. That's the third time you've said that, I remarked. Why do I get the sense that that isn't the full truth? The garden has a reputation a mile long. So do I, I pointed out. Etha's not exactly a do-gooder, but if we can convince her that helping us will help her and her girls as well, she could be an asset. Iris nodded. 
She kept her gaze carefully averted as she put the car in park. She hadn't really made eye contact since the moment we almost had back at the Marwall's house. If I hadn't still been woozy from that head injury, we would have had that moment, believe me. Maybe even more than a moment. But I'd screwed up, the moment had passed, and now Iris acted like we were in danger of contracting some eyeborne disease if we looked at each other wrong. As we stepped up to the garden service entrance, I noticed Iris's holster was empty, and she'd exchanged her dark blue Justix jacket for a beat-up leather one. Where's your oak? I left it back in the car. She squared her shoulders. I'm off the clock, remember? That means no godly advantages. I'm not a Justix. I'm just a... Concerned citizen. If you're sure. She gave me a small, thin-lipped smile. Don't worry, I can look after myself. Etha answered the door on the third knock, fizzing with annoyance. Do you have any idea what time it is? Nymphs don't sleep, I said. My memory isn't what it used to be. Etha drawled, her hands freezing into spiked knuckles. But I distinctly recall saying that our debt is paid. Neither of you is welcome here. She shot a pointed glare at Iris. I stepped forward. I'm not asking for a freebie. Your girl Sisera is dead. Dark water swirled across the nymph's face. Old news. What if I told you your help could bring down the forces responsible? She rippled briefly before she sighed. Ugh, fine. Come in, but be quick about it. In the manager's office, Etha leaned back in her chair, looking for all the world like an impatient, bored child as we shared the details of the case. I slid the photograph of Pippa and Teddy across the desk. There's a god out there who's still demanding the blood price. They're the one who lured Sisera back into God work and then unmade her once she became a liability. And where exactly do I come in? She asked. Iris and I shared a glance. We don't know who that God is, I said. The only person who might is Teddy Marwall, but he's on the run. His family's gone. He's burned his bridges with the relic dealers, and now a God's after him. He'll be looking for a place to hide, Iris continued. We were hoping, with your connections, you might know where and be willing to shelter him. Etha pretended to think about it. Hmm, no thanks. Doors that way. Don't you want to find out who took out Cicera? I asked. Not if it endangers the girls still living under my roof. I took a leap. What if I could offer you and your girls Tillamon's favor? Etha stilled. I'm sorry, what? Iris shot me a glance, but thankfully she didn't question me in front of the nymph. Whoever unmade your girl and killed Pippa Marwal tried to frame Tillamon's husband for it. If you helped find whoever's responsible, she'd be grateful. I'd make sure of it. I would pull every string I had. Actual steam started to waft off Etha's shoulders. Oh, so all I have to do is put my life and the lives of my family on the line, and in return, we go back to being some immortal's little pets? To my surprise, Iris cut in. 
What if she gave the garden her official patronage instead? It's a legitimate business now, right? Businesses claim holy patronage all the time. It would keep the other gods and their servants off your doorstep, I said. Fewer temptations for the girls. And fewer law priests like me nosing around, Iris added. Etha rested her chin on her linked hands, rippling thoughtfully. Would we have to pay an additional tithe? Typically, yeah, I began. But Tillamon might be willing to bargain in return for her husband's relic, said Iris. I gaped at her. Etha laughed. I'm sorry. Did a servant of the goddess of justice just recommend I commit bribery with a holy relic? Iris shrugged. I'm off the clock. But Tillamon's as straight and narrow as they come, I continued, picking my jaw up off the floor. The god we're chasing is a different story. We think they've been sacrificing girls for a while, for years. Decades, Iris corrected. Right, and whoever they are, they've probably hired a lot of banished nymphs over the years to help them do it. Banished nymphs who never came back. And in return, all we have to do is find this human male? It shouldn't be too hard. He's young, desperate, and foolish. Etha smirked. Remind you of anyone you know? Can you find him or not? I asked. Honey, he's a 20-year-old boy packing pantheonic heat. I already know where the damn fool is. Then I need you to find him and hold on to him, I said. She held us in suspense for a minute or two, contemplative bubbles floating through her person, before she declared, Deal. I'll do what I can, but the rest is up to you. If shit goes sideways, I will happily throw your witness under the bus. My girls always come first. Got me? Thank you, I said. I tried not to relax too much in relief. Anything happens, you call us. You have my number? Etha passed a deliberate, slow glance between me and Iris and the careful distance between us. Her lips curled up in a watery smile. Oh, sweetie, I've always got your number. Iris. So what's the plan? I asked as we returned to the car. Andy was quiet. Unnervingly so. What? Do I have something on my face? Back there. With Etha. He waved his arm like he was conducting an orchestra without knowing the music. You surprised me. Well, you're a terrible influence. Sooner or later, it would have rubbed off on me. I tried to keep my tone light, but my insides were already starting to twist with anxiety. Investigating off the clock was new territory for me. I'd stepped into a gray area, but the problem with gray areas was that it was too easy to get lost and wind up in the black. You're going to make me blush, Andy said, but he sounded like he already was. He was nothing but mixed signals. You do have a plan though, right? I asked. Right, yes. We should head to Tillamon's next, 
to make good on my word to the nymphs and to give her the heads up about the blood price. She might know some godly gossip that could help us. The question hovered on the tip of my tongue, but I was never good at swallowing my words back. Did Tillamon ever demand the blood price? Andy blew out a breath, watching Tillamon's temple grow bigger as we approached it. Sure, I guess. Did that ever bother you? He shot me an incredulous look. How old do you think I am? I was born long after the Three Mothers outlawed it. I'm not judging. Thamia used to claim the lives of all criminals sentenced to death. She would feed them to her pack. She did it for thousands of years. Lots of gods did. Then why bring it up? I didn't answer, because I didn't know. Maybe I was still thinking about how willing the Marwals had been to sacrifice their daughter. Or how willing we'd all been, for literal millennia, until we suddenly weren't and then the three mothers intervened. What else were humans capable of if we were brave enough to make enough noise? Silence reigned in the car until we snagged the final spot in the Temple of Tides parking lot. At some point in the day, a section of the sea had simply risen up of its own accord and curled itself around the building like an old-fashioned moat to keep out the protesters, only peeling back to admit true worshippers. And us. Even the predictable goddess of tides had a few surprises up her sleeve. A title priest arrived to personally welcome us to the temple. Cedric, again, looking considerably cheerier than the last time we'd met face-to-face in this same placid lobby. It's good to see you on two legs again, Andymion, the priest said. Much appreciated, Cedric. I have news for Tillamon. You'll find her in the grotto. As we moved forward, Cedric put a restraining hand on my shoulder. I shrugged it off. What gives? It's nothing personal, he said. My goddess desires a moment alone with Andy. His smile thinned. And we just had our fountains cleaned. I can take a hint, I sighed. I waved Andy on and let him make his way past the front desk without me. I glanced at the priest out of the corner of my eye. What am I missing? Brother-sister stuff? I cannot presume, Cedric intoned. Slipping into an off-the-record whisper, she's been having a hard time these last few days. When she's not worrying about her husband, she's worrying about her brother. Of course, I'm an asshole. But Andy's got better instincts than I thought. We'll bring justice to this case in no time. It can't come soon enough, Cedric shuddered. The coverage of our temple has been rough. I think it's the transmogrification the media's fixated on. It's like that old saying, a million dead people is a statistic, but one dead girl turned into a kestrel. The word caught at me like a fishhook. How did you know Pippa Marwal was transformed into a kestrel? Cedric blinked a few times, his mouth squirming into an awkward smile. I'm sure someone mentioned it. I smiled back, my expression just as false as his. That first article after the leak had said Pippa had been turned into a seabird. Not a kestrel. Not specifically. 
Right, I forced myself to say. The muscles in my throat strained to keep my tone pleasant and even. The story's all over the papers. My hand twitched, instinctively reaching for my blessed oak, but I'd left it back in the car. Meanwhile, my brain retreated back to my memories of the case, trying to get all the details together. Whoever killed Pippa needed an intimate knowledge of Estrian rites. Or an intimate knowledge of Estros. The crowd outside must make it difficult, I said. Never a dull moment, right? Tillamon had been the first one to imply Pippa was blackmailing Estros. Because she had been concerned. Because Estros was in trouble. Because it gave Estros a very inconvenient motive. An awkward silence built between us, broken only by the placid burbling of the repaired water fountains. I think I left something back in the car. I turned back toward the lobby entrance. Cedric's voice lowered down to the merest scrape. And I think you'd better stay right where you are. He slowly lifted the left sleeve of his cassock to reveal the ceremonial blade strapped to his arm, its hilt studded with coral and amethyst. Is that how it is? I asked. It doesn't have to be. The priest took one step forward, then another. He didn't draw the blade, but then I could tell by the look in his eye that he felt he wouldn't need to. We exist to serve the gods. I'm serving mine. And I'm not? My hand curled into a fist. Themia rules over human justice. His lip curled. Your authority ended the moment you crossed Tillamon's threshold. My gaze flickered for one moment toward the double doors leading to the grotto. Andy was in there. He didn't know. I only took my eyes off Cedric for a second, but when I looked again, he had three priests behind him, with footsteps signaling the presence of others. What the hell? I'm off the clock. I seized one of the lobby's chairs and smashed it against the floor. That was hand-carved mahogany, Cedric screeched in outrage. I'm more an oak girl. Picking up a pair of broken chair legs, I spun them in my hands, adjusting to the different weight. But this'll do in a pinch. Andy. I stared down into the chalky, mineral-crusted bowl of Telamon's empty pool, waiting for the water to rise. A tied priestess came with me, handing me a tall glass of water. Don't suppose you have anything stronger than this? I said. There were slices of lemon in it this time. The priestess smiled apologetically. Don't you think you might need your wits about you? That's true. The puddle at the bottom of the pool rippled and rose, and out came Tillamon. She must have come from a summoning or an oracle. She was obviously dressed to impress, with a rippling gown that flowed down to her ankles, a belt of copper links glittering with coral, and a wide golden collar studded with chunks of amethyst. Her delighted laughter peeled through the grotto. Endymion! 
I heard about your lucky escape from Surf World. It wasn't all luck, I said. I gave in to her embrace. She felt cool, but pleasantly so, like a patch of shade on a hot day. Oh, the whole reef is agog, Tillamon replied. I haven't seen them that scandalized in centuries. I'm glad you came. Hold on to that feeling, I said. I'm going to need a favor. It's for the case. It's hardly a favor if I'm serving my own interests along with yours, she said with a smile. I gave her a brief overview of the case and where Teddy was hiding. And you feel this human's testimony will bring an end to all this? I do, for better or worse. Telemann's serene face tensed minutely with unease. But what then? What do you mean? The flickering waterlight of the cavern glimmered against the amethysts and her collar. Your little Justix friend was only able to grant you amnesty for as long as the case was open. You know how our mother is. Even if you find out who framed my husband, that might not be enough to calm her wrath. Estros is my beloved, but he is the Sky Mother's son. If you haven't impressed the Sea Mother enough, you might wind up back where you started, with more time added on for spite. I... I couldn't find the words to answer her. It was true. It was only a temporary reprieve. I didn't bring this up to distress you, Tillamon said, her face wistful. You risked your future and your freedom to help clear my husband's name. That means something to me, and I want to reward you. I would like to bring you into my service, formally. I pulled out of her embrace too quickly, sloshing lemon-infused water down the front of my almost practically new suit. What? <laughs> Telemon hummed, and the water particles on my jacket wafted off and coalesced in her palm like a galaxy of stars being born. With a flick, she returned the water to my glass. If I take you under my fin, so to speak, I can stand for you while you work your way back into Mother's good graces. I'll let my word stand for you. I don't know what to say, I blinked. It was an astounding offer, especially for a demi in disgrace. And it was a perfect solution. It kept things in the family, it was stable, and Tillamon would have an easier time speaking for me to Mom as a sea goddess in good standing. I wouldn't have to worry about what the next day would bring, how much money I had left, how far I could stretch my goodwill with my shrinking circle of friends. But what then? I'd just be replacing my mother with my sister, still at the whim of the Pantheon. Wasn't it time I fixed my own messes? Say yes, Telemann said, a trifle imperiously. Can you really see yourself out there in the world alone, trying to solve problems when you can barely solve your own? But this might be something I'm actually good at. I looked down at my second-hand suit. 
I was pretty good at pretending I looked like a professional when I wasn't spilling drinks on myself. I brushed my now spotless lapels, dislodging a shriveled slice of dried lemon. Having a sister who can summon water out of fabric was pretty convenient. A bubble of realization rose up from the depths of my brain and burst open as it reached the surface. I closed my hand into a fist around the dried lemon. Can I have a day to think on it? I asked. My voice grated against my throat. I suddenly felt like the driest thing in the Temple of Tides. My sister's face remained placid, like the surface of the sea, but something old and unfathomable coiled behind her eyes. I'd known her my entire life, but I took up less than a fraction of hers. I might be half God, but there were some gaps in experience and understanding that could never be bridged. She turned toward her sacred pool, the gemstones on her regalia glittering, coral and amethyst, her favorite colors. You disappoint me, Andymion. I just need a day, I said. But she was already walking toward the water, gliding into it, letting it enfold her. She turned to me as the waters rose up to her neck. I'm giving you a day. I hope the 24 hours you spend in this grotto will improve your attitude. And then she was gone. I turned and ran toward the door, my fingers scrabbling at the knob. Locked. I closed my eyes and tried to quiet my breathing. Every day, my sea sense drained lower and lower. I could feel it, the shallowest of ebbs, right at the center of me. If I used this up, this was it. But I wouldn't need it where I was going anyway. I summoned it up, the last dregs of the ocean, the last crash of the wave before the storm retreats. And I rammed the door. It splintered, groaned, but held. Are you fucking kidding me? I screamed. From outside, I thought I heard an answering shout, footsteps, then a lock sliding home. I jumped back just in time as the door swung open. Iris stood there, breathing hard, her hair plastered flat against her head. Her left eye was already swelling, and blood dripped down her face from a slash on her cheek. You knocked? Um... I glanced behind her at the long line of groaning and incapacitated sea priests she'd left in her wake. I think I solved the case. You're listening to Gods and Lies, narrated by Carrie Height and Sarah Malo Christensen. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. 
You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Gods and Lies is written by Elizabeth Vale, produced by Marco Palmieri, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music are by Amanda Rose Smith.